Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. Are you ready for the word? We're going to pray and we're going to dive in. Let's go. Father, thank you for May Mission Month, the opportunity we have to give financially to what, what you're doing around the world. Father, you, you, are, you are the God who's on mission. You sent us Jesus, the way to have a relationship with you, sin forgiven, eternal life. And God, you're continuing to draw people to yourself and you choose to use us, your church, to share this message. And so, Father, we want to pray that you would um, motivate us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us in our giving and the way we spend our time, that we'll be a missional community where each one of us is passionate about sharing our faith with the people that we love, the people that, that are you love. And as we come to your word today, God, may you speak to us as we look at the next part of 1 Thessalonians. Father, I pray that you'd speak, open our ears, hearts to hear from you, those online, those in the room. Father, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to start by um, sharing, with, sharing with you that I have an investment opportunity for you. I have an investment opportunity for you where I can guarantee the return on this investment is greater than any share you've bought on the ASX. This investment is greater than any property that you've invested in, any managed fund, any business, any crypto that you've put your money in. This investment, I guarantee, has greater returns than anything you've ever invested in. Do you want to know what it is? I'd want to know what it is. I hope, I hope, you, know, I hope you want to know what it is. You know, as I share that, you might have thought to me, you might have thought to yourself, "Well, Nathan, that's just that's just too too good to be true. That couldn't possibly couldn't possibly be true." But 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 what if it was true? What if I had an investment that you could invest in that was beyond any other investment that you've ever invested in life? What if it was true? You've read, you uh, get the contract, you read the fine print, and it's legit. It's not some sort of scam where I'm trying to scam you, right? What if it's legit? Would you take it seriously? Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? How would you change the way you use your money, your time, your focus, your priorities if this investment was legit? How would it change your investments moving forward? Australia is a nation of investors. We, we are loved to get around the barbecue, particularly men, and talk about our investments, good and bad. In 1992, the government brought in superannuation, 3%, and then we've increased it over the years because the government wants us to invest in our future. I read, looked some stats this week, and in 2021, um, a study found that over 2 million Australians have an investment property. Did you know that? A study in 2020 said that over 9 million Aussies own shares on the ASX outside the superannuation. And, and another study in 2022 um, said that over 1 million Aussies now have cryptocurrency, over 1 million like, like Bitcoin. That's interesting, isn't it? Aussies love to invest. Yeah, we love to talk about it. We love to focus on it. And why do we do it? For our future. We invest a small amount now in order to get a bigger lump when retirement comes or when we need it down the track. I started with an investment that I mentioned to you that I said is better than any of those investments that I've just, just mentioned. This investment will radically change your life. It will radically change the lives of those around you and it will give you the greatest joy you've ever had. 
Would you like to know what it is? Here it is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. This is what Paul writes. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. In this passage, Paul is saying that the, that the church in Thessalonica, the Christians in Thessalonica, they are his reward. They are his joy. They are his celebration on the day when Christ, when the, on the, on the day when Christ returns. He's invested in their lives. He went to Thessalonica. We, we, we read about in Acts chapter 17. He goes there. He spends a few, few Sabbath days with them. He shares the message of Jesus with them. They become Christians. He invests in their lives. He sends other people back. He writes this letter back so these people won't just make, won't be people who just make decisions, but rather be, but be people who become disciples of Jesus. And because they've committed their life to him, they are following him. Paul says, the investment that I've put in your life, I'm looking forward to the return and I'm going to receive that return on the day of Jesus on the day that he returns. It talks about his hope here. Now, when the, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not some sort of dream. It's not some sort of wish. It's, it's talking about a guarantee that because they're in Christ, there is a guarantee that on the day that Jesus returns, Paul will be with them, those new believers in Thessalonica, forever. He says that it is his joy. You know, as Christians, when Christ returns, that is the best day. That is a day that we can look forward to the most. And if you're a Christian, you should be looking forward to the return of Jesus. Because when he returns, that sets up the end. We have the day of judgment and the new heaven and the new earth and the no more sickness and the no more pain and the no more death and there's no more hurt and all the, all the negative stuff of this world stops. And we start this brand new life in eternity with Jesus. And that is wonderful for us. But here Paul says... Not only is all that great, but, but the joy that he's talking about here is seeing the people that he's led to Jesus, discipled, trained, equipped, loved, to be there with him. The next thing he says is it is all the crown. A crown's a, re- a reward. It would have been like a reef. It wouldn't have been like a big gold thing. It would have been thinking like a reef. That's what the commentators say. And here it's talking about a reward. And for Paul's labor, what's his reward? Well, he gets to see these new believers that he's presented the gospel to, that he's invested in, that he's loved, that he's supported on the day. He's going to be rewarded on the day. And how is he rewarded? God's no doubt going to give him incredible things. But the fact that the people that he's invested in is with him, that is an incredible reward. It talks about, indeed, that is our glory and our joy. The joy and the glory is, the glory is what's celebrated. And what's celebrated is these believers with Paul in eternity forever. The reality is Paul invested in his people. He went to Thessalonica. He spoke life into them. He went to the synagogue. He preached the message of Jesus. And a number of the people became Christians. He loved them, he invested in their lives, and then persecution rose up, so he couldn't stay. He had to leave, and he goes south down to Corinth. And he sends Timothy and Silas back and goes, find out about these people that I care about. Paul couldn't go because his life was in danger. 
So he sent Paul and Silas back to find out. They came back with reports. Then he writes his letter, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians to them, to encourage them, to equip them, to continue to invest in them because he wanted to see them on the day when Jesus returns. I started this message by saying I have an investment opportunity for you. And the investment opportunity is you have an opportunity to give your time, your priorities, your finance, your effort, your attention to people who don't yet know Christ and share the message of Jesus with them, but also people who are new to the faith and get alongside and support and love and equip and train and teach so that they grow in their faith. And on that day, they can spend eternity with you, the place where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more of that stuff of life, it's over. And by investing in them, you're creating an opportunity for them to spend eternity with you. Two questions for you today. The first one's this. Do you think that this is a worthwhile investment? Do you think this is worth investing in? Investing in the lives of people to see them in eternity. Do you think it's worth investing in? Is that a yes or a no? You can answer. Do you think it's worth investing in? Seriously, do you honestly think that? Yeah, absolutely. I hope you do. But if, but if you think it is, well, well, then what are you doing about it? Second question, who are you investing in? Take a moment and they just look at me. Think. Who are the people in your lives that you're deliberately investing in? Now, it could be people who are not yet Christians, could be neighbors, could be friends, could be family, could be your kids who have not yet committed their life to Jesus. And during May Mission Month, we want to be thinking about mission. It could be a spouse. It could be a parent. Who are you investing in? Those who don't yet know Christ. How are you loving them? How are you listening to them? How are you caring for them? What are you presenting to them? And then... Who are you investing in who are either near to Jesus or just committed their life to him or in the first few years of their Christian life? Or people who have been a Christian for many years and who are young in their faith? Which one of those are you investing in? Because they need help. Because so much of the scripture talks about falling away. You only look at the parable of the sower and people who grab the message because the roots aren't deep. Something happens and they throw away their faith. Or they accept it, but they don't bear fruit. And in the context, Jesus says that's not how it's supposed to be. And God wants us to invest and equip and train and help people move from where they're at to a place of maturity so that, so that they are with us on the day. So who are you investing in? You know, Mother's Day is a, is a cool day to talk about investment because mums invest in their kids, don't they? Mums, thank you for investing in your kids. Without you, mums, kids don't exist. They just fall apart. It's all like there's a couple of kids in the room. You should be very thankful to your mum, no doubt, and give her a card and buy some chocolates and flowers. And we had yesterday a custard tart and a vanilla slice. And we cut it up and we sat around the table and we said, okay, you guys have got to say three things that you love about your mum and one thing that's frustrating to you. 
And then we, we I went around, and Alicia says, I love this, and I love this, and I love this. And the frustrating thing is, is I don't, and she spun it to make it a positive. What did she say? She, 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 she switched the frustration to say, there's not enough mum in the world, like her mum. Isn't she clever? I said, you should be a lawyer or a politician, because politicians never answer the question, and they always swing it around, don't they? Maybe, maybe, maybe my daughter will be a politician. And, and, you know, on Mother's Day, we give our mums gifts and we say thank you. But I reckon for a, for a parent, I'm talking as a dad here and, and no doubt for the mums too, the uh, thank you and the chocolate is nice. But I reckon the better thing is that as we see our kids grow up and they grow up to be awesome adults that add value to society, that is like a better thank you than any box of chocolate because we're seeing the investment we've made bear fruit. Let me ask you, mums, you, you, you invest in your kids around what they wear, what they eat, all that stuff, how they should speak, their manners, or how they answer the phone, all that sort of stuff. How are you investing for the kingdom? How are you investing in your kids around, around Jesus? How are you encouraging them to follow him all the days of their lives? Because that is eternal investment. You know, any parent can teach a kid to answer the phone and clean their teeth and, well, try and clean their teeth. We, have struggled, we struggle with that sometimes. And, and get dressed and all that sort of stuff. But not every parent can invest, in the, invest their kids in the kingdom of God and teach them about Jesus. You need a faith in Jesus to be able to do that. And if you're a mom and you're a Christian, man, invest in your kids for the sake of his kingdom. As I look back over my life, I see multiple times where people invested in me. I uh, went to an SRE class on Tuesday and I taught a year five and six class and I, and I, and I told them the story of my life. And I started with, um, in, in year two when I was at Padstow Park Public School. And I was in a scripture class, it was just before recess, and we had a scripture teacher, I don't know her name, she was a lady, long brown hair, maybe in her 30s, that's my picture of her when I was like seven years old, so she could have been 20, she could have been 50, I don't really know. I've tried to find her. I can't find her. I've asked people that they don't know who she is. But I have a a memory being in the kindergarten playroom in year two. That's what it's currently called now, the kindergarten playroom at the school. And praying a prayer to commit commit my life to Jesus at recess in Padstow Public School when I was eight years of age. That scripture teacher came to my school to invest. And it was in that moment that I prayed the prayer to become a Christian. I grew up in a church where I had Sunday school teachers. A lady who's part of our church, one of our life group leaders here is Jenny Crawford. She was at a previous church where I was at, and she taught me Sunday school. And I had a number of Sunday school teachers who invested in my life. At the age of 16, I was part of a church where there wasn't many other young people. So there was a lady named Jan Todd who's passed away just recently, and she was in her 50s, no doubt. And she noticed that I, there was no other ones, no other people my age. So she said to me, hey, there's a, another church that's connected with our church. They have a night service with a bunch of young people. Um, can I take you? I was like, all right. So I, so I walked to the corner of my street. She drove past, picked me up, took me to church, drove me home. And we did it again. And we did it again until the place where I went, I think I can get them myself now. I'm okay. And I was part of that church for the next 10 years. A lot to do with that one lady who simply picked me up and drove me to church and drove me home. At the age of 22, I was up at a a conference up at Katoomba. Um, 
and they were teaching around lots of leadership and stuff. And, and, and I went to one of these electives around discipleship. And I don't know why I went to it. I just felt this, this nudge to, to go to it. And this guy that spoke, and what he said radically changed my life. He spoke around um, discipling new, new people in the faith. And, 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 I, and I'd never heard of this. And he said, I encourage you to get alongside one other person and read the Bible with them. Start in the book, read a, read a chapter, talk about it, pray with them, and just ask them some questions. How are they going? How's it what with God? What do they want to talk about? And at the age of 22, I came back from that and I went, that, something happened. God must have done something to me that day. And I brought it back and then I started to invest in some of the guys who were just younger than me. I'd we'd, we'd, read usually Ephesians 1 and then we'd go to the next Ephesians 2 and then Ephesians 3 and then we'd go on another book and we'd pray and we'd, and we'd read the Bible together. And I've been doing that for the last 20 years, meeting one-on-one with people because the fruit of that is huge. Some of our key leaders in this church have been the fruit of me sitting one-on-one with them, reading the Bible with them, praying with them, and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. Now, let me say also that I never had that experience. I was always in group settings, a scripture class, and that's all good. Like, praise God for the scripture teachers. Praise God for my Sunday school teachers. Praise God for all that stuff, for our youth leaders. But I was never one-on-one with someone. And I wish I had it particularly through those 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, those, stupid, those stupidity years of young men, and I was just as stupid as most of them. And, and I reckon if I had that older Christian who sat with me once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, whatever it was, and said, Nathan, what are you struggling with? Where are the challenges? I reckon I would have lived those years differently. A huge investment. Because the reality is, for people who are in the Lord, being a Christian can be really tough, and is really tough in lots of different ways. The world is against us. Christians in Australia have, the, the persecution is increasing. We're seeing as more and more irrelevant. Society is changing. that are moving away from our Christian values. And it can be really hard to be a Christian in our society today. Life can be difficult. And when we... Here it is, everyone. When we invest in others, get alongside those who aren't as far along the journey as us, and we, and we read the Bible, we pray with them, we say, how are you going? What do you want to talk about? How do I pray for you? You know, it gives them the support to get through the difficult stuff of life. I took you to the text, um, but going back to the text from 1 Thessalonians, I, I read to you from verse 19 and 20, but, our, but the section goes about six verses earlier than that. And I want us to go back, look at two things, and then land on that text from 19 and 20 again. And in these six verses, and for those that don't know, we've been preaching through 1 Thessalonians. I've, I've been preaching through it. Every, I speak every second week um, for the last six or seven messages. It's been a while now, actually. We're about halfway through. And I want to take you back six verses because what we see is these brand new believers in Thessalonica, they also were going through much difficulty. So let's look at this text. Um, this is 1 Thessalonians 2.14.8. It says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's church in Judea who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about the difficulties. He says this, You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews 
who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. So we're told in Acts chapter 17, um, Paul's life was in danger when he was in Thessalonica, so he had to leave. This is from Acts chapter 17, it tells us this. And then the Christians, these brand new Christians, being Christians for like a month, get round up in front of the religious leaders, um, not the religious leaders, in front of the, um, the, uh, the city leaders, and are threatened with treason because they're saying there's a new king, not Caesar, there's this King Jesus, and they have to pay all this money to get out of prison, this bond money. They've been a Christian for four weeks, they've been locked up, threatened with treason, and had to give all this money to get out of prison. It was a big deal for them. And, and that's, what it, that's what it grabs through there. But it also, Paul talks about the Jews here, and he talks about the Jews in a really negative way. Notice this. You suffer from your own people the same things those, those churches suffer from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They, they the Jews, displeased God and are hostile to everything in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, you'd read that scripture and go, whoa, anti-Semitic, that's massive. Big, big, big passage here. And I went, what is that about? So I went to the commentators and the commentators said, well, the first thing you need to do when you read this text is that you need to read it in the context of the whole scriptures. And all you need to do is go to Romans chapter 9 chapter, through 9.11 and Paul writes how much that he is a Jew and he loves the Jews and he wished the Jews would all come to Christ. So we need to read this. Of the our Jews have done this with Paul's love for them. You've got to hold it all together. And this, and this scripture is, is, uh, is uh, not a reason to treat the Jews badly like people have done throughout history. The Jews are God's chosen. Yeah, There is chosen. And we are grafted in. There's another whole message. We, we are not to treat the Jews um, poorly. But what Paul is saying here is simply the reality that the Jews were threatened by Jesus. They were concerned about losing their place, their authority. And, and, that's, and that's one of the big reasons that why they rejected Jesus. They didn't want this gospel to be spread, so they tried to suppress it. But there's this really difficult sentence, the last sentence here, which I want to look at briefly, that's not really on topic for today, but I want to um, pull it apart because it's, we need to understand the text. It's, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. What is that about? The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Some, some, some of the commentators say, Paul may be referring to some of the things that happened in the first century, but... Um, but they all agree, well, most of them agree that it's, it's most probably not that. It's, 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 it, it, it comes back to this idea around the word has come, which is the Greek word ephthenesis, which means, here's the definition, to arrive with or without participation in whatever experience lies at the destination. In other words, they've got to the place where they deserve to be punished, but the punishment has not yet come, it's coming Later, it's a bit like taking the kids to the shops and their wrap bags. Stop it, stop it. Right, that's it. When you get home, and then the punishment happens a little bit later. That's what they think's going on here. Paul, Paul says, because of they've, they, they've rejected Jesus, they are now under God's wrath, and that wrath is coming at the day of judgment. Cool? Good. Just like here, we have the Thessalonians are under great difficulty through persecution, and the Jews which is their society, is against them and opposed to them. That's exactly what we have today in our society. Christians in Australia are being persecuted for our faith. 
more and more. We only need to see it. It's in the news. In the news, the Israel Falal, if you quote the Bible and people find it offensive, you can get sued. There's all this stuff. And society is moving away from our Christian values. Sex outside of marriage. People living like they're married, although they're not. There is um, the view on pornography is now normal. Um, I wrote down some thoughts. Drunkenness is now normal and it's okay as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Same-sex couples, all this stuff that's not part of our Christian, um, it's not biblical Christianity. It's influencing God's church today. And it's hard for young people, particularly young people, to stand and go, you know what? I'm not going to follow what the world says. I'm going to follow what God says. And if our young people are going to do it his way, you know what they need? They need us to invest in them, to get alongside them, to love them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to support them, to keep them following him. The second thing we see in this text from verse 16 is Paul's heart for them, which is a beautiful picture for us. The first thing says that that these Thessalonians were going through difficulty, just like Christians do today. And the second part says that Paul... Paul loves them and has a longing to be with them. And if our young people are going to thrive, if the people who are new to faith are going to be Christians all their life, we as older in the faith need to love them. Look at what Paul writes. He says, you suffered... Oh, not that bit. I'm going to go on here. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, like a mum and dad, being ripped away from mum and dad, by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought... Out of our intense longing, intense, imagine the, the strength of language here, intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come with you. Certainly I did, I, Paul did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now, it doesn't tell us how Satan blocked it, but simply that Satan blocked the way. We haven't got time to get into that. And then he goes on into verse 9, for what is our hope, our joy, and our crown, which is the scripture that we landed on. But go back here and, and look at these other verses. Paul writes in 17 that he's been orphaned, orphaned, a mother and father ripped away from the kid. I have an intense longing to be with you. I wanted to come to you again and again. What we see in this scripture is that Paul wanted to be with these new believers. Why did he want to be with them? Because he loved them. He cared for them. He wanted them to thrive and hold tight to Jesus and don't just be decisions, but become disciples. He wanted them to grow and flourish and live a life that honored him, that they would be with them on that day. How much concern, how much love do you have for the other Christians in the room, for the other Christians that you know who are younger in the faith than you? Do you have a desire to love them and serve them and get alongside them and help them be all God wants them to be? Do you have that? Because those that follow him, those that choose him, it says here, they will be with him forever. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Friends, that is an investment worth making. That is fully an investment worth making. People who don't know him, people who are new, we train, we equip, we make them help, make them mature. We can't make people mature. We can help them. We can create environments where they mature, that they will be with us 
on that day, the day where there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, there's no more disease, there's no more death. It's not just a 20-year retirement. It's not like today we spend so much time investing in ASX and watching our share prices go up. I do that. I like watching the ASX. It's fun. Um, and thinking about property and listening to podcasts and what's the latest crypto. And we invest all this time and energy for what? Yes. Does it give us a return? Yes. Is it a good? Yes. But it's only for this life, which is short, which is temporary. But when we invest in people, it is eternal. So as we come to the end of this message, the first two questions, do you think this is worth investing in? And you said yes. So here's the second question. This is the get real question. So who? This is the important one. So who are you investing in? Do you have a name? Do you have a few names? Are you deliberate? You know, one of the ways you can invest is by giving them a mission month and support those staff in Cambodia, support our scripture teachers, support what we do at the community dinner, and by you giving, you are investing into eternity there. But you can also get alongside people. One of the things that we created is foundations, which is 11 weeks, and we're about to take a new group through at 9 o'clock during this service in the next few weeks. We'll let you know about that. Take someone through foundations. People say to me, Nathan, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with them. I wouldn't know what to say with them. Take them through foundations. All the words are there for you. Just love them. Answer the questions together. Everything that you need is there. Be deliberate and invest in people. You know, I'm going to pray. Yeah, come on, Margaret, you're going to play for us? That'd be great. And I want to give you 30 seconds just to reflect, to close your eyes. And I want you to consider this question. Who, who are you investing in? Come Holy Spirit. Father, we want to pray that in this next moment, those online as well, that you would pray online. And, then you would, and that you would ask God to speak to you around this idea of investing in people. Because it's eternal. Father, show us who, show us how. Take 30 seconds and reflect. Father, we pray that you would show us, that you would lead us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a revelation around eternity and how important that is, how valuable that is. In Jesus' name. God, I pray you will lead us to the right people. Show us the ones we will be deliberate to invest in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Christy's our youth pastor and she runs a Sunday night program and they meet fortnightly and she's got 15, year 11 and 12 young people of which three have a church. 12 are part of this community, unsafe family, and they're connected here and Christy's taken them through foundations. What if you stuck your hand up and went, hey, Christy, do you reckon I could meet with one of those young guys? Journey with them, invest in them. Imagine the fruit, imagine the return on investment by getting alongside them and helping them commit their life to Jesus and serve him all their days. Imagine, imagine the influence you could have in their lives. For those online, we're going to say goodbye to you. Thanks for being part of this. God bless you. 
Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer, and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the Next Step button.